the ways of working remote first are so critical to understand. And honestly, there's so much unlearning you have to do. There are typical corporate bureaucratic norms of ways of working that you really have to completely throw away and learn a different way of working. And we wanted this very early on in onboarding so that it set the right stage. And so for companies who are transitioning into this, develop this now and think of it as a re-onboarding. If you are truly moving from co-located to remote first, it's a whole new company that your people are rejoining. And it's worth looking at L&D through that lens. Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Leveling Up. Today, I have with me Darren Murph, the head of remote at GitLab. Darren, I could give you an incredible introduction because you have so much to share, but I think it's best to let you walk through what it is you do at GitLab and and how you got into remote overall because it's such an incredible journey. Yeah, thanks for having me. We talked a bit about this off air, but I do want to mention it. I want to start by stealing a line from my friend, Kate Lister. I feel like we have been pushing the remote work boulder up a hill for 15 or 20 years, and it's pretty wild to see it on the other side of that barreling down. So it has been quite the whirlwind over the past couple of years. But for some context, I joined GitLab in July of 2019. So before COVID, before the whole world essentially opened up to and embraced remote work. But GitLab was born as an all-remote company. We're at over 1,300 people now in more than 65 countries. And so all-remote was in the DNA of the organization. And I was fascinated by it when I stumbled upon it. So the goal in joining the company was to create the world's greatest library of remote content to essentially open source and share how we do remote. Lo and behold, the entire world ended up needing that as a blueprint just a few months later, and thus the remote playbook was born. So I've written over 100,000 words on how GitLab does remote, taken from GitLab, but also my prior experiences across 15 years of leading co-located and hybrid teams. And it's been viewed over 100,000 times now, just since COVID, and a lot of organizations are using it as a blueprint. And the future is being written as we speak. And we have definitely used it as a blueprint ourselves. Marlo is also a remote first company. We were remote before remote was cool, but not as far advanced as you were. But now we're in this world. Like you said, we're barreling down on the other side of this mountain and you have this wealth of knowledge to share with the world and you've chosen to openly share it. So for those of our listeners who are not familiar with GitLab, can you share a little bit what GitLab is and what your, your company is doing? Yeah, put simply, GitLab is the DevOps platform. So we are an end-to-end solution. If you want to make great software, if you want to collaborate, GitLab is the place. And so we have built an amazing tool that just so happens to be amazing for remote teams. Of course, it's great for co-located and hybrid teams as well. Yeah, and you um, will share the link to your README that you created because it really summarizes your amazing experience, but also gives a little glimpse into what GitLab does and and how people can use it. Any other links that you think we should share? Yeah, the README is a great one, but some more context. Thanks for, for bringing that up. So the product side, I already mentioned, but what's really fascinating about GitLab is the organizational design. And so we have actually worked with Harvard and NCED to build case studies that they are actively teaching students how to build and organize companies with no company-owned offices. 
Now, had I uttered that phrase five years ago, I would have been laughed out of the room, but now it actually makes complete sense. And for those that aren't familiar with GitLab, I would encourage you to Google GitLab Handbook. We publish our entire company handbook online. When I joined the company, it was around 3,000 pages. Now it's around 13,000 pages, but it's our whole operating manual, our operating principles, how our functions work, what our OKRs, goals, strategy, and of course, all of the all remote material as well. And that has been core to who the company is. Transparency is a core value. It makes us better. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating way to operate and open core is really critical to who GitLab is. So it just made sense to convey that same mantra on the remote work side of things. That's really incredible. I was hoping we could dive into how GitLab approaches employee development in particular from a remote setting, right? I know that a lot of our clients and and listeners are approaching this new world of what got us here won't get us there. What got us into the office training, we were providing manager programs, we being our audience. And, you know, they struggling to translate those programs into remote initiatives. And so you've written a lot about this. You've shared a lot of your insight. It's all over, but I want to kind of summarize it here with you for the next 15 or 20 minutes around what your thoughts are. And hopefully we can dive down that rabbit hole together. Love that. It's it's very germane uh, to what the world needs to know. So I've got a few pointers here, but I want to say Point one is you have to dramatically change your mentality around what this is that we're going through. So a mindset shift is number one. You got to throw away all of the preconceived notions before any of the things that I will say next even matter. The truth is what we have been experiencing is not intentionally designed remote work. It's crisis-induced work from home. They are not the same. If this is your first engagement with remote work, I assure you it gets better and is done well, very differently than what you may be experiencing. Also, if you have temporarily worked remotely in the past, you've probably worked office first, but from home. You didn't fundamentally change how you worked. And for remote work to work really well, you have to completely re-architect the way that you work. At its core, this story is about how work gets done. This is counter to the global narrative, which focuses on where people are. In fact, I would argue there's no such thing as hybrid work. You're either remote first or office first. So now that I've got you in that mentality, let's go down a few tactical steps. We can dig into these as you would like. So step one is choosing a transparent tool where all of your work is funneled through. You are going to need a central hallway, a single source of truth, where collaboration happens because you don't have the physical hallways to act as the glue with every team deciding where they want to work and then using this zone infrastructure, the zone of collaboration to bring all of that together. So that's step one. Two is you have to develop remote specific learning and development tracks. People don't know how to do this. You can't just assume that a great co-located manager is a great remote manager without teaching them anything. It's on you, the organization, the leader, to retool your learning and development to make sure that the curriculum makes sense in a newly remote world. And the third is you're going to have to actively convert tacit knowledge to explicit knowledge. Where this starts is reevaluating your values and your culture. Take a hard look at the values that you have in the company. Are they elaborate enough? Are they just words on a wall? How are they lived out? How are they exemplified? 
in a remote setting. So I would start there. Those are the three foundational elements. And I'm happy to dive into any of those if they pique your interest. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should start with step one, this transparent tool for communication. So much of what we did in the office, when you're in person, that communication happens very organically. You're walking by someone's desk, you can pop in, you bump into somebody in the elevator. There, there are really easy ways to have those communication channels. But you have conference rooms where everyone's kind of seeing each other's body language and you can say, hey, Susie, you look a little uncomfortable. What's going on? Like, what are your thoughts? We're losing all of that now. How does GitLab approach communication from a remote setting just at your core? How, how are you all communicating day to day? So GitLab uses the GitLab platform to collaborate company-wide. So our legal team, our comms team, every team funnels their work into the GitLab product. It is designed for visibility and transparency. And quick aside here, but it is relevant. Our 2021 remote work report was published earlier this year. We surveyed almost 4,000 people around the globe. And among the many amazing anecdotes that we found from that was a clear link between transparency and visibility of work and a sense of belonging for the individual. So most culture leaders are trying to do things like Zoom happy hours to build culture. Turns out you should actually just make your work more transparent and inherently people feel like they belong because they don't have to go searching for goals and objectives and figuring out what team A or team C is working on. So choosing a tool that can pull all of this together is going to be critical. So we use GitLab. Dropbox Spaces is another amazing tool and Catalog with a Q, Q Q-A-T-A-L-O-G. Check those out. Catalog is a new tool. It pulls a lot of existing tools together to sort of create that central hallway. On the communication side, you have to be very explicit about communication guardrails. If you look at the communication handbook guide in GitLab, we are incredibly explicit about what we assume and expect from people in terms of where work communication happens and where informal communication happens. For example, we want all work-related communication to happen through the GitLab tool. And so to foster this, we expire our Slack messages after 90 days. So we explicitly use Slack not for work communication, but for informal communication. If you try to get work done in Slack, everything is going to disappear every 90 days. So you probably won't get very far. But what that does is it opens it up for us to create channels like parenting or hiking, cooking, video gaming, music making, where people can join these communities and bond together around a topic that makes them human. And so if you're missing the proverbial water cooler conversation, this is an opportunity to recreate that using a chat tool that you may already have installed. Absolutely. And then, so if you're communicating in these formats, the next layer is when we remove this in-person communication channel, we also remove the opportunity as a leader to identify when someone might be visibly showing signs of stress, right? Or visibly showing signs of needing uh, clear expectations or so on. What are you seeing in terms of ensuring that your managers are skilled to manage remotely, but also that they're, from a communication perspective, that they're able to spot gaps in skills and get ahead of those much more quickly, given that we're removing, we're kind of making them go blind in some sense. Yeah. For us, it really starts with hiring people that are managers of one. So we look for this leadership principle. We hire for it. We train for it. We develop for it. Manager of one. And a manager, a great remote manager is less of a dictator, less of an order giver and more of an unblocker. I actually would say, if you want to be a great remote manager, consider yourself an unblocker, as in how much can I unblock today? 
That is your whole goal. And this completely flips the notion of co-located management on its head. You have to completely let go of micromanagement and fly all the way to the other extreme, which is waking up every day with a giant proverbial catcher's mitt and just catch as many things as you can and then unblock them so that your direct reports can run as fast as possible. Now, there's a lot of prerequisites here. You have to create a level of psychological safety and you have to explicitly give your direct reports permission to come to you with whatever their challenges are and articulate what is happening, share as much information and context as they can, and then you as the leader look across the organization and try to strategically unblock them. In the process of this engagement, you generally can get a pulse on how people are doing. If they are being blocked constantly, then it's worth asking the question, like, what can I do to help make this better? Another boring solution, by the way, boring solution is a sub-value of efficiency at GitLab. Another boring solution to this is to make it a permanent fixture of the one-on-one. Red, yellow, green check-ins, they are very old, but they are very functional. Have it as a part of your team engagements or your one-on-ones, and just make sure that people feel like they can be honest with this. If you need a little bit more technological help, there's this amazing tool called Kona. Look that up. It is a phenomenal tool, and it really encourages managers. It kind of leverages technology to take the awkwardness out of it so that you're constantly keeping a pulse on your remote team. Thank you. And, you know, as you were diving into step two, this, of course, layers in. So you mentioned developing remote specific learning and development tracks, developing tracks in general, it can be tough for many organizations. Having specific tracks and paths that individuals can move toward developing their own skills and knowing where they should focus is in itself a a large project. How do you approach it at GitLab and, and what advice do you have for other teams moving remote? Yeah, so some added context that may be useful here is I genuinely recommend to companies who are transitioning to remote to hire a head of remote or at least appoint a senior leader where this is their full-time job to re-architect and figure this out. This is not just a simple light switch. Hey, we're going to let everybody work from home, but change nothing about how we work. And we just expect it to magically have great results. This is a significant change. And I think COVID happened so fast, it maybe gave us this romanticized view of, oh, it just works. We can just keep doing this. Yes, it is passable, but for it to actually work well with less friction, you truly do have to invest in this. So part of the investment is figuring out what a great L&D leader looks like who will optimize for distributed learning. It's a whole different field. How GitLab does this is we have actually hired someone specifically to develop tracks that are amenable for remote. There is a manager challenge. You can find this on the GitLab handbook, of course, a manager challenge that we do in cohorts where we have aspiring managers, existing managers, and it's a multi-week course. There are synchronous sessions, there are asynchronous sessions, and it just guides you through different circumstances that you are likely to encounter in a remote space. And it gives people the ability to choose what they would do and then share with other managers and we build bonds in that way. We also have an ongoing career series where we look at senior leaders around the org and we interview them on what they have done to develop their career and develop their network in a remote setting. And then we share those with the team. And then we have GitLab issues where anyone in the company can ask questions even after the series is done. And so some of this is rooted in L&D fundamentals, but there's kind of a remote twist to it, a remote layer that as you're going through the training, you become a bit more remote fluent just because of the nature of how that training is set up. This is excellent. And and it gives 
it lends itself to long-term resources rather than something that's one-off in person. You can actually maintain this and continue to use it for the future. And, and yeah. so given the structure of GitLab, it also, of course, lends itself to being very shareable and something that people can find easily. Yeah. And I, I want to mention that we also added early in my tenure here, we added a remote work fundamentals certification to our onboarding. So we realized that these the ways of working remote first are so critical to understand. And honestly, there's so much unlearning you have to do. There are typical corporate bureaucratic norms of ways of working that you really have to completely throw away and learn a different way of working. And we wanted this very early on in onboarding so that it set the right stage. And so for companies who are transitioning into this, develop this now and think of it as a re-onboarding. If you are truly moving from co-located to remote first, it's a whole new company that your people are rejoining. And it's worth looking at L&D through that lens. You mentioned earlier that you believe in remote and you believe in co-located and hybrid doesn't exist. I'm curious, just given what you just said, because what about the people, the companies that are 5,000 employees and they're starting to approach this in a hybrid setup? Why does that not exist in your mind? So it really comes down to definition. Hybrid, if you're looking at a certain subset of your company will be on-site by default, a certain subset will be off-site by default, you're going to run into a tier A or and tier B type of clash. And I think what we've seen globally is that remote work has sort of worked really well because everyone's on the same playing field. When you're all remote, your intern is one click away from the CEO. As soon as you go into a hybrid environment, that changes drastically. And in fact, if your senior leaders are the first one to flock back to the office, it sends a clear and convincing signal that anyone who opts out of the office is doing so at their own peril. Their career is probably going to suffer because of it. And thus, you'll start breeding this sort of tier A, tier B dysfunction. So you can try it. A lot of companies do try it. But I want to be clear, it is not the best of both worlds. In fact, it's probably the worst of both worlds. And a lot of companies are doing this because they want to integrate flexibility, but flexibility without investment in infrastructure is not a long-term sustainable solution. You have to audit all of your workflows and convert them to remote first. I'll give you a very tangible example of this. If you do want to keep your office open, because some people may say, my studio is too small, I really do need another place to work, go into all of the boardrooms and remove every whiteboard that doesn't have an internet connection. Because if you go into that boardroom and you start physically collaborating on a board that no one else can see, you are collaborating office first. And that is inherently exclusive. No one else can contribute. And not only can no one in the remote world contribute, but someone on floor three can't contribute to something that's happening on floor two. This is perhaps the worst possible way to collaborate. And you really have to audit every single one of those things and ask yourself, does this process still work if everyone is remote or if not everyone is in the office? And there's a lot of change that has to happen. This isn't a binary switch that you flip. I recommend to companies that you put this on a one or two year plan with quarterly milestones to iterate your way to a different way of working. But the risk of having the office there is it's really difficult for people to walk into an office and work remotely. That's ideally what you want. If somebody shows up at the office, they don't show up there to rub shoulders with the right people or to work in a different way. They show up there as if it's a WeWork. They just go to a different place and still work remotely. But it is incredibly hard 
to get people to do that. So the easiest way is removing the office. And if you have extroverts that want to work together, support reimbursements for places like Cody, Switchyards, WeWork. There are a lot of places in the third space category that are opening up now to give people more than two options of home and office. Absolutely. And and that's so critical. With the second tier, we're seeing that play out in many companies. You're seeing it global companies like Apple and Google, and it's it's starting to be a big problem, which takes us to your step three. You mentioned earlier that if you really want this to work, you need to convert tacit knowledge into explicit knowledge and, and reevaluate your values and culture. I might be merging two steps there, but reevaluating your values and culture is really a main part of making this work. So what advice do you have and, and what have you seen work well with companies that did transition to a remote setting? Yeah, I've seen a few companies that are actually doing a values audit and they actually get their senior leaders in a room and they say, what are our values right now? Are they substantiated enough? Do we know how to actually live these in a remote setting? And then you broaden it out. I would actually consider surveying your entire company. Values are so critical to the fabric that holds everything together that I truly think if anything, you should enable everyone to contribute their ideas to this. Of course, everyone can contribute the mantra at GitLab. If you look at the GitLab values page, it's one of the most fascinating documents I've ever seen. And even though it has been around for years, we're continually iterating on it. It had around 100 different iterations last year alone. So it is very much a living and breathing document. But for me, it comes down to, are your values actionable? And when it veers into the topic about culture, honestly, culture is just a barometer of how well your values are adhered to especially in a remote setting where you can't choose the color of the lighting or the the neon on the brick outside of your office or the brand of coffee that you serve, all of these vanity elements go away. And you realize that when the rubber hits the road, culture is the behaviors. It is the values. How can people live these out? And so it, it comes down to, hey, if we have five words that represent our values, maybe we should write some more underneath of those because collaboration means something different to everyone. And collaboration in a remote setting may look completely different than what collaboration looked like a year ago when everyone is in the office. We're using different tools. We're more asynchronous. We have new methods of using existing tools. So our own definition of collaboration has changed. You really have to go through this exercise. It's worth doing. You're a new company. I keep telling companies this, like, like it or not, you're a new company. You will never put this remote genie back in the bottle. People will expect some baseline level of flexibility going forward. And for many companies, you don't want this to be your fax machine moment where you keep asking new candidates to fax their resume in instead of email it. Eventually, the world will evolve to a point where there's no choice. The best companies, the most progressive companies are going to invest in this. And it really all starts at the values and culture. When you have candidates coming in, that's what they're going to ask to see that is going to be the litmus test of what their experience will be like as a remote employee. I have so many questions and and we're going to run out of time at some point. I want to go back to what you said about hiring managers of one and the reason being that it also plays into values so much in a tactical way. And I'm sure we can get into GitLab and find what a manager of one means, but what is a manager of one in terms of their actual day-to-day actions that you're looking for when recruiting for these types of leaders? Well, give you leaders a, being individual contributors too, I, I see. But. Sure. I'll give you a work-related example and a personal example. 
A work-related example is a manager of one always makes a proposal. And actually one of our sub-values is make a proposal. So I would go check that out. It tangibly shows you how we exemplify our values by saying make a proposal. Okay, what does this mean? It means that you cannot call a meeting just to brainstorm something without a physical, tangible proposal attached to the calendar invite. If you send someone a work-related meeting and there's no agenda, no proposal, you'll just get a decline. Because think about what's happening. That's incredibly rude. You're trying to commandeer 30 to 60 minutes of someone's synchronous time, and you don't even share where you're at with the thought. This is just business fundamentals. Yes, that's, that works really well in a remote setting, but even in a co-located setting, I would argue that is a better, more respectful way to go about this. So we expect managers of one to be able to write down their thoughts, to contextualize their thoughts. Or if they don't like writing, use Loom or YouTube. There are a lot of video tools to be able to capture those thoughts. But the point is, show up asking for feedback directly on a proposal. It is much more efficient to make progress on something. Brainstorming can happen asynchronously. We spin up a GitLab issue. We ask a lot of people to contribute. And then once the proposal is in place, we have a meeting. A manager of one would do those steps in that order. And that is what we're looking for. On the personal side, GitLab has a no ask, must tell vacation policy. This means you don't have to ask to take vacation. You tell people you're taking vacation. But we expect you to be a manager of one and take the vacation before it's too late. If you're running a marathon and you wait until you're like an oasis in your mouth, you're already dehydrated. It's already too late. We want people to be self-aware, to take the time they need to continually prioritizing the rest ethic, just as important as their work ethic. Make sure they take the time they need, make sure they prioritize and collaborate with other team members. And so that's just kind of two, two staples that when you really get that infused, you can kind of see how uh, the right people really relish this autonomy and liberation. How does that play into entry-level candidates? Because what we're seeing is a lot of companies approach, as we approach remote work, they're fearful of entry-level candidates coming right out of college, feeling like they get enough of the mentorship, they get enough of the training that they need. What is your process for, for getting them up to speed? From a skills perspective, the entry-level generation is more equipped than ever. Like, let's be honest here. These folks grew up on the internet. They never knew a world without it. They're going to be fine. They made digital friends. They made digital commerce, digital entertainment. Like they've lived digital lives. Remote work is not terrifying in the least, I assure you. Now, the mentor side, mentorship side of it is valid. And I would recommend to leaders to consider cohorts. Maybe this is an onboarding cohort. So everyone that joins in Q1, you fly all of them to one centralized place and you hang out for a week. Yeah, you do some strategy and some onboarding, but mostly you just get people together to join the company roughly at the same time and say, you know, we're we're together, we're a group, and it builds that foundational bond. Also, give people opportunities to go to events, to go to galas and things of, of that nature. When they start getting back together, they're going to be more important than ever. In-person events will have incredible value because if a lot of people are off-site by default, the on-site moments will become more precious and much more intentional and focused. And so what I'm saying here is make sure you budget for that. If you're going to have people out of the office by default, make sure that you do have opportunities to get together in person. There's a lot that can be learned from that. And culture and rapport building really accelerate when you're in person on a strategic basis. 
that that's a great point. Getting together and finding ways to get together, which I imagine is a big part of your responsibility as head of remote to make sure that these moments are happening. What is your role in this process and how do you see that evolving for other companies hiring heads of remote? Yeah. So I'm really focused on informal communication as a whole. And so within informal communication is the ability to get the whole team together once a year. GitLab Contribute is what we call this. We try to get the whole team together. There's a little bit of work involved, but mostly it's just hanging out, building bonds, building that rich cultural foundation so that when we leave and go back to our respective machines, there's a nice foundation that's built there. Uh, But there's a lot more to informal communication than just things like giant events. It's things like creating a video gaming channel and encouraging people who love gaming to go in there and coordinate synchronous gaming sessions. Because some pretty cool collaboration can happen outside of work by people that are doing something that they love. Same thing with music making. Music making is especially interesting because it can be done asynchronously. So you can have person one, build the verse, send it over, upload it, and then person two, build the chorus, so on and so forth. These are really amazing opportunities. I hear a lot of leaders kind of lamenting the loss of the water cooler. And I always challenge, like, was the water cooler that great to begin with? Or was it a place where gossip happened and the person with the loudest voice in the room and the right charisma and the right extroverts, like, weren't they advantaged in those situations? I don't, I'm not so sure we want to replace the water cooler, more so of looking at new opportunities to get people together and care about things outside of work and be humans to one another. That kind of dials back to an earlier part of the conversation, which is completely thinking about remote work, not as office ported to virtual, but a wholly new lease on life. You have a global permission slip to try new things. And so for leaders in this this space, I would say, go for it. What have you tried that didn't quite work out? (laughs) Yeah, GitLab looks at everything through iteration. And so I would say when I came on, I was an onboarding buddy for a designer that joined. And this designer had only ever worked in co-located spaces. And so as part of my role as an onboarding buddy, I asked a couple of weeks in, hey, how are things going? Is there anything about onboarding that you would change? This is how we make our onboarding better. And they said, you know, I joined in a Slack channel with 30 other people this week and I see their names, but I don't really feel connected to them. In an onsite company, we would all show up in the lobby at the exact same time, on the same day, even if we worked in different places, and we see these faces and we kind of lock arms and say like, hey, we're going on this adventure together. And I thought, what's the boring solution for that? Well, if everyone is already in the same channel and you already know who they are, maybe just spin up an impromptu Zoom call just to at least get people in the same room, kind of this universal coffee chat. It might not be the same thing, but it's a start. And she loved that idea. And she actually made the proposal to change that and add that as a suggestion in our onboarding. And what I love about this example is we have someone that's two weeks into the job, has no classical HR people training at all, and fundamentally changed how we do onboarding going forward. And so if you look at anything across GitLab, values, culture, onboarding, our product, that is how it has been iterated on over the years. And so If ever there was a failure, it would be not paying attention to possible iterations or not having enough bandwidth to see all of those contributions. But I I love how we empower everyone to contribute. And I I hope that we keep that going. As we we wrap up here and we kind of dive into my final questions, I'm curious before I, I have these set of questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'll get into those in a second. But I'm curious where you see 
the world sort of moving from a learning and development perspective in terms of preparing our employees for the next you know, five years of their career. What are you excited about? What are you seeing right now? There's this awesome book that just came out by LinkedIn's first chief HR officer called Work Quake. And when I was reading through it, there was a section that it just resonated so strongly because it put into words what I've been thinking is the future of L&D, which is L&D is going to go from something that people felt like they had to do to a complete differentiator of companies that you want to work for. Work has changed so fundamentally that now companies have an opportunity to upskill, to uplevel their own learning and development so that people come to work for you because they know you'll help them get better. You will build in skills that they need to ready themselves for whatever the next role or the next job would be. Here's a great example of this. In a more remote world, you need to be amazing at writing. Now, writing has always been a general business skill, but not being amazing at it. In an increasingly distributed world where documentation is going to be king, now this goes from a nice to have to something that is going to be essential. I would argue that storytelling skills are also going to be like this, because when you have to take a call over Zoom, you don't have all of those body cues. You can't just lean on your charisma in the room to get the point across. It's going to be your words. It's going to be your passion and how you taxonify knowledge. Well, where are people going to learn this? Well, I guess they could go back to school for some of this. But as an organization, this is your opportunity to train your people up on the remote first skills that will catapult their career going forward. And so if you're retooling that, I would definitely weave that into talent brand, definitely weave that into recruiting, because that's going to be a key differentiator as you look for new talent in the months and years ahead. Storytelling is something that you've mentioned in other publications and other interviews. And I think it's worth pausing for a second to point out that your position, if I'm not mistaken, is housed within marketing. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Tell me a little bit more about why that is. Really boils down to change with a great story is purpose. And change without a great story is a mandate. And for anyone in a leadership position, if you have tried to influence change, by simply saying, this is the change, you're just asking for friction. And with this seismic shift in how we're working, it's just as important to get the why right, the story behind it right, as it is to pick the right tools and up-level your L&D and teach people how to use these tools in new ways. You have to remember that people are working remotely in a pandemic. For those who have not worked remotely before this, it is incredibly difficult for them to envision a future where they actually thrive and they actually enjoy this. And you have to be the chief storytelling officer to paint the picture of what intentionally designed remote work can look like when you don't have the stressors of the pandemic and you don't have these travel restrictions. Everybody enjoys losing the commute, but there is so much more to it. And if you're asking people to fundamentally work differently, to collaborate differently, to prove their results differently, to look at praise and promotion differently, to think about culture differently, to embrace a more elaborated set of values. That is a long list of things. And I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. If all of that doesn't come packaged with a narrative on why we're moving in this direction, you will face a ton of internal headwinds trying to make any movement at all. So companies that really get this right are going to pair all of that change with great messaging, both internally the employees that are here, as well as externally to the potential candidates who will join 
to the media and the analyst and all of the other arms of the world that are telling their story, this is a big deal. And this is an opportunity for companies to shine if you really lean into this and embrace it more quickly than competitors. Darren, this has been amazing. I have one final question for you, which is what resources and tools are you personally leaning on right now in terms of bettering yourself? Great question. I'm blessed to work at GitLab. So we have an amazing L&D department that's uh, spinning up these tools. But a few tools that have really piqued my interest of late, Kona. I mentioned this. Kona is an amazing one. Catalog, really looking into that as well. And Almanac. If you're not familiar with Almanac and you want to spin up a company handbook, Almanac is a great place to start. So I love what they're doing to try to democratize documentation across companies that are transitioning. Excellent. We will link to all three of those in the show notes. You've been called the Oracle of remote work, and I can see why. I hope our listeners can as well. Thanks so much for spending time with me. And I hope that our listeners are going to check out all these resources that you've shared because I I know that our team has found them incredibly valuable. Thanks for that, Mary. Thanks all for tuning in and uh, reach out on Twitter if I can be of assistance. Where else can our listeners find you actually, if I can make sure? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn and my GitLab readme. So if you Google GitLab readme, Darren Murph, You'll find the operating manual of me. And if you're a leader, I would strongly encourage you to write down that as well. It helps people interact with you if they haven't met you face-to-face. Excellent. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes. 